Coming up on golf today, let's call it the biggest Thursday of the season so far. Tiger is back in L.A. at Riviera for day one of the Genesis. From his arrival to warm up to shots hit in anger, we'll shadow every step of the big cat. Plus, an old Tiger rival joins the program, Hal Sutton. We'll ask him, what's it like beating both Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods and revisit his long-ago victory at the PGA at Riv? And big John Rahm is already on the course at Riviera, hunting for birdies, looking to be Tiger and everybody else. You have been designated to keep it locked right here on Golf Today. Golf Today. This is Golf Today. Damon Hack alongside Rex Hogger. Rex, in times past, we'd be right there on property looking at a parking space waiting for Tiger Woods to arrive. What are you most looking forward to today? So many times. What's interesting is in golf, you have these layers of events now. And certainly you look at this event. It's always been special. It's Riviera. It's Hogan's Alley. It's the L.A. Open from back in the day. Then it became an invitational and it kind of moved to that next level. Now it's a designated event. It moved up even one spot, one more spot on the hierarchy and now it's a Tiger event, yeah. which is kind of times 10. Yeah. To your point, we don't stand in parking lots looking at parking spots very often. But with Tiger there, I guarantee you there's plenty of riders, plenty of reporters hanging out just waiting to get that first glimpse of Tiger Woods. The expectations are so great, Rex. And in this incarnation of Tiger's life and career, you just have to wonder how productive can he actually be when you have so many players like John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler and Rory McIlroy really seemingly at the height of their power. And I think that's the beauty of this. It's, it's the way you, we just ran that footage that we've been running all week long from 1992. You can bridge gaps, the historical mm. gaps in golf this way. Tiger started it all in 1992, and now he's back. For every player in the field, can you imagine Tom Kim? He's out on the golf course right now, but I guarantee you he was thinking to himself, Tiger Woods is in this field. No question about it. It's a huge day for the sport as Tiger makes his season debut. So with more on the excitement building at Riviera, let's say hello to Kira K. Dixon. Kira, what's going on? <laughs> Hi, Damon. Well, there's a few things going on here. One, the thing that I'm maybe most excited about, don't tell Tiger, is that it's sunny and beautiful out. Uh, we have much nicer and milder conditions, but in just a few hours, uh, one Tiger Woods, I'm sure, who is also happy about that, is going to be teeing off. And the fans, they're already out. They're hanging over the balconies. I've seen somebody walking around in a, in a Tiger onesie, uh, ready to get his glimpse of Tiger Woods. And I spoke with some of the tournament officials just to find out what the difference in fan interest has been at the Genesis Invitational. And they said prior to Tiger announcing that he was going to be playing in the tournament, they were on par with ticket sales relative to the status of this tournament. But since he announced, uh, the demand has been significant. And I think that we're going to see an example of that in the numbers that come out today. And just, just to give you guys an example, you know, yesterday, Tiger Woods teed off at 6.30 in the morning in the freezing cold. There were about 100 people out watching him, me members of the media, volunteers, vendors, anybody that was on property, and it wasn't open to fans, anybody that was on property that could get down there was down there to get a glimpse of Tiger Woods and was with him the entire 16 holes of his pro-am that he played. And just to put it into perspective, Rory McIlroy was in the group right behind him, and he had a very different-looking gallery. So it's just a, a microcosm of the needle that Tiger Woods is in the game of golf. Now, Kira, we know all eyes are going to be on Tiger Woods today and tomorrow, but what other storylines are you looking into mm -hmm. today? 
Well, I'm looking at a tee time that's actually already out on the course. That's Xander Schauffele, Tom Kim, who you guys mentioned, and Max Homa. Xander Schauffele, the California kid, he's already had two top tens out of three starts this year. Uh, if you remember, he withdrew from the Century Tournament of Champions uh, back in January due to a back injury. And since then, he did some consulting work with Mark Blackburn, has really leaned into biomechanics to make sure that he's making the healthiest swing possible for his back. He's playing pain-free. Really interested to see how he fares here this week. Tom Kim is making his tournament debut here. He's he's already got two wins prior to the age of 21, so he is completely riding a high, and he's here at a place that he describes as magical. He's gotten to be here one time before. Three years ago, guys, he was here as a fan. He had to take a bus, just like everybody else, to get here and enjoy the action that year Tiger played. Uh, this year, he said that the most exciting part, other than getting to be in the field of Tiger Woods, was actually driving onto the tournament grounds in his own car. And then you cannot forget the Cali kid, Max Homa, the 2021 Genesis Invitational Champion, uh, who's had, who now is a six-time winner on the PGA Tour. He had a really great moment with the media earlier in the week when he talked about something that Kobe Bryant has said that keeps him motivated to continue to be as competitive as possible and play at the highest level at, on the PGA Tour. But I, I continue to try to prove that I am worthy of being a top player out here. Uh, I feel like that's a, I feel like Kobe Bryant talked about it. Fear is a great motivator. And I think that fear of failure and that fear of losing your job and not winning again, if you use it in the right way, can be incredibly beneficial to your career. It makes me want to work harder. Um, it makes me after Tory. uh, immediately get it nervous about going to Phoenix and maybe not playing well. And then that keeps me on my toes. So I think all those things become uh, good when you're using them in the right way. Now, Max might be using fear as a motivator, but there are also going to be some very good vibes in that group today. Max actually joined Tom Kim and a couple of other players in their caddies at a Korean barbecue in Los Angeles earlier in the week. So they'll have plenty to chat about and plenty to smile about because what's not to smile about here at Riviera? No doubt. Max Homa quotes Kobe Bryant the way others quote Gandhi. Great stuff from the L.A. Kid and great stuff from Kira K. Dixon on this big Thursday. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The U.S. Open will head to L.A. Country Club North in June. LACC has hosted three USGA championships, including the 2017 Walk Cup. You may recall the club sits on the edge of Beverly Hills, spans some 320 acres, featuring two 18-hole courses overlooking the nearby city. And I tell you what, the U.S. Open venues upcoming, L.A. to Pinehurst, Oakmont, Shinnecock, Pebble Beach, Wingfoot, quite the United States Open Rota. National golfer who took up the game of golf at the age of six. He played collegiately at the University of New Mexico and went on to turn pro in 2005. Then in 2006, went through U.S. Open qualifying to become the first Zambian and black African to play in the U.S. Open at Wingfoot. Blessed one is the incredible story of Maralizo Matia, a true underdog who found himself on one of golf's biggest stages. And the author of the book, James Roth, joins us now on this Thursday. James, great to spend some time with you. How would you describe your role in Maralizo's journey? Well, I was, first of all, good to see you both. Uh, I was uh, in Zambia on official government business uh, in the late 90s and was asked by the president of the country if I would uh, help a young man who was essentially self-taught uh, to secure an athletic scholarship to play golf at an American university. So I met Madalito uh, and his father in the lobby of my hotel and really developed a close relationship over the next uh, year or so as I was marketing him to U.S. colleges. And essentially, my family and I decided to welcome him into our family as his family welcomed me. And and we assumed financial responsibility for him and, and uh, you know, uh, helped him get his scholarship to UNM, as you, as you mentioned. Now, both of us, Damon and I, we both had the opportunity to meet Madalizzo during that U.S. Open, had a chance to write about his inspiring story. I, I do want to talk about the book, but before we get to that, how did that experience sort of change him? Uh, well, you know, Madalizzo has always, always been pretty grounded, uh, but he essentially was an affirmation that everything that his father taught him, that it doesn't matter where you come from or what your circumstances are. If you simply focus on what you need to do, you believe in yourself uh, and you uh, and you work hard every day uh, that you can achieve anything. And so uh, it was a fantastic experience being at the U.S. Open. Uh, he you know, he was it was not lost on him where he was. Uh, but he also believed that this was simply following a path that his father had laid out. And so for him, I don't know that it was a big surprise, although it was a great honor. And it was a big moment for him. I wrote about him in the New York Times. I'm curious, what has his life been like since the 2006 U.S. Open? Well, his life is essentially um, one sort of moment in history after another. Uh, you know, he not only was the first black African in history to ever play in the U.S. Open or in a major on U.S. soil. But he's the first Zambian to ever make a career playing professional golf. So uh, he's essentially been playing golf all these years on the Sunshine Tour uh, in Africa. He has status on the European Challenge Tour. He's played in some PGA events. And so just every time he steps foot on a course, he's doing something that nobody has ever done before. Now, this was clearly a passion project for you. Why was it important for you to write this book? 
well, you know, in my opinion, I think this is one of the great, although probably uh, lesser known stories uh, in sports history. Uh, Matalizzo Mutia's father was born during British colonial rule in Africa when essentially blacks were removed from their land, uh, subjected to forced labor and denied education. And his father learned to play golf by going to a segregated golf course, scrounging for golf balls, and then taking scraps of wood, um, filing them down and to where he could strike a ball with a flat surface and, and then playing on vacant land. And then for his father to just simply teach him the basic rule of hard work and believing in yourself. Uh, and then Madalito teaching himself the game and then essentially appearing on golf's grandest stage, as you mentioned earlier. It, it's something that that people need to know that, you know, wherever they come from, whatever your conditions, uh, your goals are not too far. The path is not too long. The hill is not too steep. I mean, Madalito has proven that. And so it's a lesson for everyone. I think it's particularly important to highlight this during Black History Month. Well, annually, James, the USGA recognizes outstanding contributions to golf literature with the Herbert Warren Wind Award. What does it mean to you for Blessed One to receive this honor? Well, it, it's, it's a great honor for me, but I think, you know, more importantly, it's affirmation that, uh, you know, what I saw in this story is, is something that other people also see, that, that you know, that Madalizzo Mutia, uh, although he hasn't um, achieved uh, the, the sort of heights as other players that we all see every day on the front cover of the sports section, that, that he is every bit the champion considering where he came from and what he's had to overcome. And the Herbert Warren Wind Committee and the broader USGA have recognized that uh, and believe this is a story that needs to be told. And I think, again, if for anyone out there that is, is questioning their own ability in their own circumstances, please read this book and you'll you'll come out at the other end feeling much, much better about your own situation. Mm, remarkable story indeed, James. Thanks so much for the time and congratulations once again. Excellent. Thanks, fellas. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored, soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. And it's great to have Hal Sutton with us on this Thursday. Hal, in some ways it's hard to believe it was 40 years ago you carried that firm chin and golden mane down those fairways at Riv. What do you remember most about that week? Uh, a great golf course. Uh, I was playing with Trevino and uh, Lanny White for two days. That was memorable. Playing with Lee is incredible. Uh, finished the Sunday round with Crenshaw, which is a great friend. And uh, it was just a, a dream come true week. Looking back at that week, going into Sunday and let's say midway through the round, as I'm looking at sort of the historical stats, at what point did you realize that Jack was making a move? Uh, the whole back nine. You know, he was a couple of groups in front of me, but uh, you knew that he was making lots of birdies. We didn't have automated scoreboards at that time, so I didn't, I wasn't watching the scoreboard, but uh, the crowd was telling me that he was making birdies. And, you know, and I had a four-shot lead and bogeyed three in a row. We got close there. I had a one-shot lead going into 15, and, uh, it was a moment of having to reach down inside and saying, don't let this define who you are. Hal, I've always been intrigued by something. A lot of people won't remember this, but a few weeks before you won that PGA, you lost a six-shot lead on a Sunday in Virginia. Calvin Pete ended up winning. So how were you able to move past that so quickly and take victory at the PGA? Well, I, I went home the week in between and worked really hard and and as I said a minute ago, I didn't want it to define who I was, you know, losing a big lead. And there I am at Riviera, had a four-shot lead and made three bogeys in a row. And, you know, I remember grabbing the towel and sinking my head into the towel and saying, don't let this define who you are. And um, I basically just said, okay, all I can do right now is drive it in the fairway on 15 and we'll go from there, which... You know, I ultimately went back to what I tell every kid to do today, play one shot at a time. Um, and that's the way I got it in and ended up winning. How we have spent a good amount of time this morning talking about the 10th hole at Riviera. You played the, what was then the L.A. Open 22 times on top of playing the U.S. Open there. When you played that hole, what was your strategy and how have you seen that changed over the years? Well, I seldomly ever went for the green. Uh, just felt like it was too much trouble down there, and the likelihood of putting it on the putting surface uh, was pretty slim. And, uh, you know, really, if you left it short, just short of the green or just to the left side of the green, you'd be okay and have a decent chip. But, you know, I always felt like if I played four straight days in a row, if I laid it up to the perfect spot, had the perfect yardage in, I, that, those four days from there would be four days with a driver. And that's the way I played the hole the whole time. And I never, you know, I never really made any big scores. You can make a big score on that hole if you drive it in the wrong spot. So uh, I think 10 is one of the greatest short holes in golf. Uh, I think it's held up through the years, no matter who plays it. It's, it's fun. It's challenging. Uh, great hole. Hal, you have uh, wins over Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods in two of the five biggest events in the world. I'm not sure who else can say that. What did you love the most about those confrontations? Well, what we all love, the competition of it, you know, at the highest level with the greatest players in the game. I mean, that's the two greatest players. And 
you know, I happened to, uh, you know, Jack was towards the end of his career, but he was still playing great. And, uh, of course, Tiger was in the early stages of his career. In 2000 was probably the best year he's ever had. So uh, at the time that in 2000, whenever I beat Tiger, I mean, somebody needed to beat him. We were beginning to think nobody could beat him. And, you know, I had him. That was on a course that I knew I could play well. So I uh, felt like the weight of the world was on me in both cases. For different reasons, I felt like the weight of the world was on me. One was a personal weight because I had lost the big shot, big lead in uh, Kingsmill uh, for the PGA. Uh, and then the second one was the weight of the world because Tiger was beating everybody. How is it true that before that Players' Championship that you had a moment where you were paired with him and you told your caddy, Freddie Burns, that we, we need to beat this guy so he knows that when we're side-by-side side again, we can beat him? Well, we were, yes, it was at Riviera the, in 2000. I was paired with Tiger the first two rounds. But I had called Freddie into my office at the end of 99, and I said, Freddie, somewhere we're going to be paired with Tiger this next year, the first two rounds. And I said, you know what? I don't know where it's going to be, but we need to beat him. And I said, the reason why we need to beat him is there's three people that need to know that we can. I said, first and foremost is him. We need to let him know we can beat him. Secondly is you. You need to know that I can beat him because you're going to have to support me. And then third and most important is me. I need to know I can beat him in those critical situations. And, you know, it was, we were fortunate. I played really well the first two rounds that year at Riviera, and we were able to beat him and then come down the stretch at TPC. You know, we had to prove it then. How we spent some time earlier this week talking about the struggles that Ricky Fowler have been going, has been going through, about Jason Day, the struggles, trying to come out the other end. You did that in your career. You made it through the dark times and actually played better. What did that teach you about yourself? Well, a lot, you know, to never give up. And uh, neither one of those guys have given up. And I'm so happy to see both of them playing well. Um, you know, it's hard to talk about those dark times. You know, you one thing about golf, when you're playing good, you think you're never going to play bad. And when you're playing bad, you think you're never going to play good again. And that's just the competitive spirit in all of us, you know. Um, but we all love competition. They love it. And that's why they're still there. That's why they're still fighting. And, uh, you know, they'll make it through it. How 14 PGA Tour wins, including a major, two players, a U.S. amateur, four and two in playoffs, four Ryder Cups, a captaincy, two Walker Cups. Some might say that's a Hall of Fame resume. What says Hal Sutton? Well, I'm not the person in charge of the Hall of Fame, so, you know, maybe one day, uh, who knows? Uh, it was, you know, I was a very lucky guy. I was able to stay in the game for a long time and uh, win a few tournaments, you know, in golf. Uh, if you're not Tiger Woods or Jack Nicklaus, you end up being the, uh, the turtle, really. You don't win many times, and uh, you have to find satisfaction in the few that you do. I played a lot of golf tournaments and only won 14. Missed a lot of cuts. There was a lot of uh, heartache, but a lot of uh, memories that I'll cherish forever, too. Hal, it was always a joy covering you. One time you walked off a green, you missed a putt, you said, I'm a hot tamale right now, but you <laughs> talked to us uh, the very next day. Thanks for your time. We'll speak to you down the road. All right.
Y'all have a great day. Back on golf today, we saw Tiger make his way gingerly down that staircase at Riviera to the driving range. Look at that game face. Look at that picture in the dictionary. Here's what Tiger had to say Tuesday about his mentality ahead of the week. If I'm playing in the event, I'm, I'm going to try and beat you. Um, I'm there to get a W. Okay, so I, I don't understand that making a cut's a great thing. Um, if I enter the event, uh, it's always to, to get a W. And I, there, there will come a point in time when my body will not allow me to do that anymore. And it's probably sooner than later. Um, but wrapping my head around that, that, that transition and being an ambassador role and just playing and just trying to be out here with the guys, no, that's not in my DNA. Tiger looking for win number one at the Genesis Invitational. His best finishes include that playoff loss to Billy Mayfair. That was at Valencia Country Club in 1998. Then the following year, a finished runner-up to Ernie Els, 1999. And I tell you what, the, the, the jocularity that we saw earlier in the, the practice, it's a game day. Him making his way to the practice area at Riviera. We've seen that face throughout the years, Rex. There are a lot of things that have changed about Tiger Woods. We have seen it over the last few years where he has become this leadership character. He has become friendly with Ricky Fowler and the rest of the guys that live in South Florida with him. The one thing that hasn't changed is the game phase, where yeah. you can be friend, even friendly with him on Tuesday and Wednesday, not on Thursday. I love what he had to say there in that set. Like, I don't understand what it's like to go to a tournament and play to make the cut or to think about a top 20. And he was, was he criticized a little bit Early in his career, that famous interview with Curtis Strange, you know, second sucks and third is even worse, was the <laughs> quote from Tiger Woods. And listen, he can be, you know, broken down and put back together his leg, his back, but that mind has not changed. Rory talked about this yesterday, the mentality that if you spend your entire life and your singular focus is to do nothing but win golf tournaments, everything you do in your life is to make sure you can get to that level and suddenly you try to switch it off, it's not possible. He yeah. does not have that, as he said, in his DNA. Now, what you see, what you're starting to see in his later years, that energy is being focused in other areas. We've seen right. business ventures, TGR is certainly consuming him. You certainly see golf course design business is being a big part of his life. You see how in-depth and how engaged he is in the Ryder Cup and President's Cup process. But the competitor is still there. You know, there were times in his career, Rex, and you know this, coming off of layoffs, he would, he would find sharpness pretty quick, win the first start in a season. Show so many Tory Pines and win. I just wonder, in this Ben Hogan schedule, which he's called it, where he's only playing a handful of times against players who are just so sharp, can he find a way to find competitive, you know, greatness against players who are half his age that don't have nearly the scar tissue, literal, uh, that Tiger is contending with now. I think I tried it out the line. I'm not going to bet against Tiger Woods anymore. I've learned that lesson. However, I will say that what we've seen the last two years is him trying to find that balance. He has talked about it repeatedly. He has to find some way to be competitively sharp. Right. He also has to find a way to keep his body from breaking down again. Yeah. And those are not two mutually exclusive things. He needs to dig deep whenever he's away from the golf course. That's the part that always amazed me about Tiger Woods. And I think I had this conversation with Ryan Labner earlier in the week. It's almost like the NFL thought, where I'm not getting paid to play on Sundays. I'm getting paid to practice. In this mm. particular case, he didn't get paid to play the tournaments. He'd love that. He'll play the Masters for free. It's all that practice and all the work it took to get there. And in this particular case, 
I think we underestimated how much work, how much effort, mm. how much pain, how much he had to be very, very selfish in his life to get to where he was. We just thought he showed up and won 82 PGA Tour yeah. events. And it ignores the fact that it took so much work for him to be that good. We thought it was just natural ability and he didn't need anything else. We know now that's not the case. Now he has to figure out a way on what is, he's called it, a broken frame to do it more often. Never been afraid of work, never shied away from the gym or the reps that it takes to be one of the all-time greats in sports recs, but very few athletes are able to kind of write uh, the, the, the final chapter the way they want to. John Elway winning back-to-back -back Super Bowls and literally riding off into the sunset. Nicholas at the age of 46 winning the Masters, contending as a 58-year-old in 1998, an event ultimately won by Mark O'Meara. Some people might think that Tiger already had his Nicholas moment in 2019 at the Masters. Do you? It would be a good one. I mean, yeah. if we're going to look back 10 years from now, and that's going to be, you know, his farewell moment. I'll, I'll go back to last year, the St. Andrews, and I think you and I and probably everyone else in golf was thinking the same thing, that when he stopped on the bridge. And it was such a quintessential moment for the game because that's where the greats stop. They stop, they tip the cap, they look around, they, they soak it all in. There's probably a couple of tears. I was there when Jack did it. I was there when Arnie did it. It's the part of the fabric, the history of the game. I didn't get that sense from him. Like, he just walked across the bridge. He did stop, but I didn't get the feeling that, okay, this is my last turn. I think mm. in his mind, he still has more turns. I think it's the only way he can push forward in this particular yeah. We talk about how hard it is. If he tries to tell himself what he just said in that soundbite, that he has fewer and fewer of those days behind it, he can say it. I don't think he believes it. I'll be honest. I, I knew he worked hard. I didn't realize how hard he worked, really, until I spent time with him in the fall and how much he just kept talking about work, rinse, yeah. and repeat. You know, we had Max Homa quoting Kobe Bryant earlier on this show. Tiger talked about his own relationship with Kobe Bryant in that tippy-tippy top of the mountain of athletes who just see comp competition and work and reps in a different way. Jack Nicholas, similar, just that ability to say, you know what, I'm going to walk on this property today, and there may be other great athletes here, but nobody has worked harder than me. Nobody is smarter than me. Nobody has the talent that I do. Like... I deserve to win. I've done everything possible and then some to put myself in this position. And, and Jordan was built in the very same way. And, and it's no surprise that, that Tiger is here. And one of the first questions he's asked on a Tuesday is, can you win? And it's yes. It's same like, well, question. Well, let me think about that. Of, of course the answer is yes. Well, and I'll go back to Hank Haney's book. I, I think that painted a very vivid picture that most of us did not know before that because he kind of laid it out, A to B. This is what we did the week, the two weeks before yeah. a major championship. And you started to get a sense of how intense this was, that he just wasn't showing up at Augusta hoping for the best. When he showed up at Augusta, he had already done this with a card in hand, walking around Ireworth, and later when he moved to South Florida, walking around whatever golf course he was preparing down there. I, I think what he has done throughout the course of his career, and this is probably Earl, and this is probably his mom, in his ear that when you showed up, there were no doubts. Yeah. That when you showed up, you knew you were going to be the best. Now, watching him chip right here, I will say I have heard throughout the course of the week that if you're going to watch anything other than, obviously, the leg, yeah. see how physically he holds up, I have been told that his short game is particularly sharp, so that should bode him well today. And that's another aspect of the game that he had to overcome when he had some short game woes. And he mm -hmm. said he was between patterns. Some called it the chipping yips. It's just amazing that it could be something as simple, something we take for granted, as walking that is the most difficult aspect of Tiger Woods trying to play golf now.
It's and this goes back to the, his conversation earlier in the week when he talked about the idea that when it was a knee issue, even a broken leg in 2008 at the U.S. Open, I can grind through this. This isn't a problem. What was the problem was the back injury, and he realized that I am mortal, that yeah. I can't grind through this. I have to listen to doctors, and certainly everything he's gone through now is the same story. Yeah, we know his tolerance for pain, probably amongst the greatest in the history of sports. Another chapter being written today as Tiger makes his PGA Tour debut at the Genesis Invitational Riviera Country Club. As we've said, gorgeous day, Pacific Palisades between the Pacific Ocean, uh, UCLA, about oh, three or four miles to the east down Sunset Boulevard. Now, one of the big names you'll see this afternoon, Rory McIlroy, tees off uh, with Tiger Woods and Justin Thomas at 3.04 p.m. Eastern time, about a half hour from now. Three top tens in six starts at Riv for Rory. Now, Rory spent some time with the media yesterday and talked about the PGA Tour present and future. You've been very involved with just the new look of the PGA Tour, how the schedule will look in the future, and designated events are a big part of that. The discussion kind of recently is who will play in these events. Um, I'm just curious where you stand on how you think they should look, how big the field should be, and who should be playing in them. The best players should be playing in them because ultimately the PGA Tour needs to be built around the best players because that's what will maximize the value of the product. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's not great storylines further, you know, down that list, which, you know, we're all very cognizant of. Like, I've, I've had tons of conversations with guys that are worried about what events they're going to play next year and all that. And, like, the one thing I said, I'm like, we're not, like, no one's trying to screw the bottom half of the tour here. If anything, we're trying to lift it up. We're trying to, like, if you have a, you know, a product, I hate calling it a product, but a product that, this year is forecasted to do $2 billion in gross revenue. Like you're trying to grow that product as, as much as possible. So the way I've tried to describe it is, if you look at like the NBA's growth trajectory over the last 20 years, they've built that league around their best players and their stars, not around the 12th guy on the team. But because they've built that league up around the stars, the 12th guy in the team does way better than he used to. So that's sort of the way I've been trying to tell it. Like, does it mean that the tour is going to get more competitive? Yes. Does it mean that, you know, instead of, you know, the way that you even look at the new look at the playoffs, like 125 used to make the playoffs, now it's 70. You know, it's just becoming a more competitive product. And I think, honestly, that's, that's a good thing. Rory McIlroy with his thoughts on these designated events. You see him alongside Tiger Woods there, part of that 304 p.m. Eastern tea time with Justin Thomas and very similar comments I would say this week from Tiger and Rory in terms of how they see this new look PGA Tour. Oh they're on the same script. I don't mm. think there's any doubt. They they ran the meeting in Delaware last year during the PGA uh, BMW Championship. It was their plan. It was their bl blueprint. They were in charge and they they know what's best for the tour from their perspective to be fair and again to be fair to Rory McIlroy I think everyone from Tiger all the way down well, just marvel at what he did last year. Not only do you play well, not only do you put yourself into contention to be the player of the year on the PGA Tour, but you also become the most outspoken proponent of the PGA Tour in what was a very, very contentious year. So let's be honest, what he did was amazing. You talked about this yesterday, about needing a month off just to sort of catch his breath. I will say, on the second half of that, as I catch my breath, that 
He just re referenced and said that he's not trying to, I believe his words were, screw the bottom half of the tour. I got a text from a player this morning that is on the bottom half. Mm. That's exactly how he feels. And so this is going to become a problem. This is going to be, be something that the tour is going to have to address. Because up until this point, everyone has been on the same stage, on, on the same script. Yeah. That we all agree that what the tour needed to do was find some sort of answer to live golf. And they have done a good job of that with Tiger and Rory leading the way. Now you're going to start seeing the sort of the fallout from that. You're going to start seeing what that means specifically to those Let's call them the 12th man on the NBA roster. I think it's a bad comparison, but let's use it. They're not going to be happy with some of these changes. I thought it was an interesting comparison in saying, hey, but even that 12th man on an NBA roster is doing better than he did 15 years ago, making more money than he did 15 years ago. I just wonder if that's going to be uh, an apt comparison considering the, the 12th man in the NBA who's a, a PGA Tour player might not even get to play at all, might not have a, a, a tour stop to play if these designated events shrink down to, to 70 or 80, as is rumored. Well, let's meet on camera one next week when I'm at the Honda Classic. Because okay. I think this will be a much more interesting conversation then. Because I think the Honda is going to be one of those events where the 12th man is going to be the field. Okay. And that's not to knock the field. La Honda's been on the tour schedule for a long, long time. They've been a wonderful sponsor. But they're going to get the squeeze. There was going to come a time when these designated events squeezed out tournaments and players. And I believe it begins next week. And you have to give credit to Tiger and Rory. I compared this to what happened in 1994 and how Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus handled a very, very similar threat. Tiger and Rory saw what this meant for the game, saw how this was going to impact their legacy, and they made a move. They got off the couch and they voted with their voices, which is an amazing thing to say when you consider specifically Tiger Woods has been reluctant over the course of his career to get involved in these type of things. He saw how important this was. That being said, there's going to come a cost, and we're going to start seeing it sooner rather than later. Yeah, we're seeing this era of designated events, but, Rex, you could say that 15, 20 years ago, the conversation was similar in that there were the Tiger Woods events and the non-Tiger. We called it the Tiger Tour, and when Tiger Woods played, we know what happened. Golf Week was there. Golf Digest was there. The New York Times, Daily News, New York Post, Newsday, L.A. Times. When Tiger Woods played, Everybody was there if you were a member of the golf media. And if Tiger wasn't there, the PJ Tour events had to find different ways to, to get bodies and to attract people. And you hope that Phil would show up or, or at least some, some uh, B-listers that had a little bit of cachet. So, yes, this is a, a new era of the PJ Tour. But doggone it, in some ways, it's a similar conversation to what we had 20 years ago. I don't think it's any different. As okay. a matter of fact, I remember specifically in another life as a magazine writer writing that specific story. I used Trip Eisenhower, our colleague, mm. as the primary example because Trip was very outspoken at the time that he played a vastly different tour yeah. than what Tiger did. And I think at the time I compared purses, and it was what you would expect. Like the purses Tiger Woods was playing for were dramatically more than what Trip Eisenhower was yeah. playing for. Now at the time, and I think even to this day, Everyone will tell you that whatever it is they're going to do with the PIP, why don't we just write the check for Tiger Woods right now <laughs> because of what he's meant for the game. And I yeah. think anybody from Ponte Vedra Beach all the way down to the players who is 125th on the FedEx Cup points list will agree with that. That being said, since those days, there has always been a place for those players. We'll go yeah. back to last week, Nick Taylor being the primary example. Mm. Even if you need the stars, and we can all agree we need the stars together more often, that's what these designated events do, you still need to have those others. You still need to have that Cinderella story. We see it week in and week out. We're kind of seeing it this week. Yeah. Taylor Montgomery is in the field.
this week. He is mm. one of those guys that had to play really, really, really well as his first year on the PGA Tour to get into this event, and it's only going to get squeezed more. Yeah, it's the third designated event of the season, just the second full field designated event. You can say headlined by the 15-time major champion host, Tiger Woods, about to tee off.